Hi, this is Jeff. If you have any interest in supporting this podcast, you can visit patreon.com backslash evolving podcast for more information. Thank you. Jeff Grant's Evolving Podcast, a podcast dedicated to being inconsistent. Okay, this episode is a, uh, it's like a um, last minute kind of thing. I'm going to talk to my friend Liz, who's here. Do you want to say where you're from? Uh, no, I'm from, uh, I'm in the United States in the northern area. Okay, cool. We were wanting to do a podcast to get together, and it was like a thing we were kind of planning off in the future and then it turned out tonight we both had like maybe an hour or however long to uh to do one and so it's kind of last minute i haven't written my questions out but i had some thoughts or some some things to talk to you about or just because you're you're a therapist i am almost a therapist i'm acting as a therapist but i'm not quite done with my program yet you're kind of right on the edge, or you're... I'm 26 days. <laughs> Not that I'm counting. You're, you're waiting to hear back about your uh, master's... I'm, I'm not going to say the right words. The paper? Yeah. Yes. So the paper has been approved, which means I can move forward in creating my presentation for my oral exam, which is happening in 23 days which will then be my official like graduation date, but I'm not done at my internship until four days after that. And the internship is kind of where you're getting hours, like experience hours yes. sort of? Yep. So I'm getting the hours that are necessary for both the school and then the uh, state accreditation to then be able to be applicable for the license. Okay. I- it's very, there's so many steps. Well, it's probably good that there are so many steps. It, I agree. It's like a pain in the butt while I'm in it, but as a consumer of therapy, I would definitely <laughs> want to go to someone who, like, they had to go through a bit of the ringer so you know that they actually want to be there and doing what they're doing. Right. You said you were not having a good day. Today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to get into that stuff. <laughs> We were joking that like I would uh, give her podcast therapy. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know what that means. And yeah. I was worried I would like mess you up. You can, I don't you, think you can mess someone up. You can't. No. Oh, is okay. Here, that's a serious question I'll ask. It, so, if you in if you went to real therapy, mm-hmm. could the, the the therapist there mess you up? So. I suppose we should also preface all of this to say that I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form, and that I'm speaking from just my experiences and my opinions and my viewpoints and experiences. So, um, and since I do have very limited experience, like I'm kind of coming in with a lens of someone fresh into this whole world of being a therapist and 
what's cool about that is I also get to then decide what that world's going to look like for this next generation of therapists and people who attend therapy. So that being said, I think that there is real damage that a therapist could do if they are doing things that are unethical or that could harm a client's well-being. Like what they tell us all through school is don't sleep with your clients, which like you'd think is ridiculous, but apparently happens often enough that they really have to pound that into our heads, which like just blows my mind. But like you could do things that are unethical, like try and uh, like be with a client and try and get your own needs met as a therapist instead of actually helping them like that you could say is damaging to the client. I'm thinking about therapy and it's it's such a like sensitive subject kind of to where I don't know I'm trying to think of what is okay to talk about in a Have you ever been to a, therapy? I've uh no, I have uh I, I haven't gone to like therapy technically, I guess. I had um there was this time a few years ago where I thought there, I was kind of uh, going through a lot in my life mm -hmm. and I was feeling confused and I, uh, I did go talk to like a doctor. He wasn't mm -hmm. really a therapist, but I, it was kind of like a, I need to check like if my brain is working right kind of thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't done like regular therapy really. Mm hmm. Not like where you go weekly and then bi weekly and then maybe once a month and then like that kind of. No, I haven't done that. How common is therapy? Um, I'm. That depends on your race, your socioeconomic status, where you live, availability of it, stigma in whatever culture you live in, not necessarily an ethnic culture, but like, um, so it really depends is what basically it, like right now it's becoming more and more something that only people with money can do and, and enough money where they can have the kind of insurance where they only have to pay co-pays. So they've probably got a pretty good job and they also probably have a pretty good cash flow because so many insurances now to in, able to have a copay to go actually see someone like that doesn't happen. People have high deductibles and aren't able to pay the 80 or hundred dollars to go see a therapist. I think that that's, I know if I've ever thought like about doing therapy of, of the money thing is always like a, yeah. Uh, I couldn't afford it anyway kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you really, you have to think of it regardless. You have to think of it as an investment in yourself, but then there's very real realities of whether or not you're able to do that financially as well as like, do you have the support around you to really dig into yourself and, and make it worth your time? And yeah, it's a very real barrier. That's definitely, that stopped me from seeking my own therapy is money. Oh, really? Yeah. Several times in the past, like, five to six years, I've wanted to and then not been able to because I'm not, I wasn't or haven't been able to afford it. One thing I was wanting to ask you about, 
that I've noticed, I mean, this is probably anybody who's like paying attention to any of this stuff, but like on YouTube or Twitch or wherever you go, I feel like, uh, I feel like the people who are younger than me are more open about like mental health type stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it almost feels like it's this wide open conversation like they're having like all the time. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what, um, if you've noticed that and if like what, as a therapist, like what, what do you think about that? I think it's great. I think that that is the culture shift is to make it okay to talk about. And in making it okay to talk about, we're preventing a lot of deaths and suicides. Um, I think the more we can talk about it and be open about it and reduce stigma of mental illness and seeking help, the better. And I think that it's only going to continue down that path of it being okay to talk about. Okay. Uh, this is not my question. It's Brick's question from the previous podcast. How do you make good use of talk therapy when it hasn't been of much use to you in the past due to not being in the right headspace to talk through issues? That is a good question, Brick. How do you make good use of talk therapy when it hasn't been of much use to you in the past due to not being in the right headspace? Hmm. I guess go and try again. The thing is, is if those things are still sticking with you and still bothering you, it's important to like listen to that and then go and take care of it and see see what can happen if you if you go back and try and talk through it and process through it again, including talking about why it didn't work before. I think that actually could be really useful to reflect on the process that didn't work and why it didn't work before and what changed and what's different now. I think that could be really, that could bring about some really meaningful revelations for someone. Um, I was talking to you last night a little bit like briefly about therapy type stuff. And mm -hmm. you'd mentioned that a lot of therapy, it's like, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was like uh, a lot of it is about like, dealing with like the systems that people are in. Yeah. So that is um, based on the degree that I am working in and towards a marriage and family degree is based on systems. And so how that differs from other degrees is social work. For instance, they're very similar degrees except social work is based on systems that are much larger. So we're talking like state systems or systems of uh, like, you know, that has to do with like politics and resources in your area. Uh, those much larger systems versus marriage and family therapy. You could also, you could also call it like systems therapy or like a, a systems therapist or relational therapist, because it's based on the systems that you're involved in, such as like, your first ring is probably your immediate family. If you're if you're still in your nuclear family, your nuclear family, or like for me, it's like me and honey. And then outside of that is like your extended family. And then it's the people you socialize with. And then it's maybe your workplace. And then that workplace is in the city that you live in. And then the city's in the county and the state. And so like the, those are what I mean by like systems. And so the degree that I'm getting in is, is um, mostly around those immediate systems that you interact with. So it's usually your family. A lot of times it's your marriage or your primary relationship. Um, 
and then maybe like friends and more extended family. So that is what it means to be like a systems therapist or to get a degree in marriage and family therapy. It also means that I get specific training in like couples work versus the other mm-hmm. don't necessarily spend time in specific theories devoted to working with couples and families. And in this degree, there are like regulations that say like you've taken a class in a f- in families, family dynamics or couple dynamics or romantic relationship dynamics. So does that answer the question? I kind of got sidetracked. Yeah. I, I think when you said that, it kind of something clicked because I was, it made sense to me that, I mean, obviously like a lot of who a person is, is like the groups they're in or yeah, like, uh, you know, the, their families and their work and church yeah. or, uh, Exactly. That's kind and of so, wh- wh- where your communities are that I can see that shaping the where your brain is going and kind of how you make your yeah. decisions. And also then there's the understanding that any action that occurs within a system affects the other parts of the system. That not one individual is a silo that doesn't affect everything else. And so therefore you're affected by all the other aspects of your system. And so even though an individual person may come to someone who's trained in systems therapy, that doesn't mean that the therapist is going to go and headstrong their way into changing how the family interacts. But we're approaching it from an understanding that this person is involved in this system that exists and that they exist in. And that's really important to take into account to everything that they do, every aspect of their life. And when they come to therapy, the aspects that aren't working for them. As a therapist, like when you have someone come in, is there like, is there a specific goal for kind of where you want to help them get to? Or, I mean, is it usually based on the client or do you kind of, are you, are you, um, there's not like a, an, is there like an ideal, like healthy, like mentally healthy way of mm. Or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is so? The, I th- or go ahead. What is like health versus what is function <laughs> versus dysfunction? What's health yeah. versus not healthy? Yeah. I think that that that's determined both. Like, I have an idea of what health is, but I have an idea of what health is for me, and that's based on my values. And so I can't impose that on anybody else who comes in to see me. And so it really is based around what the client is looking for and what they, what they want. And they may not necessarily know what they want. They may come in and say, I'm really unhappy and I know that this isn't working for me anymore, this way of life or this feeling that I'm having. But they may not know exactly what health or function looks like because maybe they've never even known it. And so mm. there is like some idea of what it looks like for like function and health and we're not trying to step so far as to impose well you should want this for yourself or for your life it's hard to give a very concrete answer to that but it's almost like you're kind of like a guide for them to help make sense of themselves sort of yes yeah and at least i mean i can speak for myself with that 
that aligns with like my philosophy, but that isn't necessarily everyone's. Do you ever have people who come in and like they think they're messed up and they have all these issues and then when you talk to them, you're like, they seem kind of more healthy than they might think they are? Maybe. I can't think of anyone in particular. But there's some people who tend to be really hard on themselves. And so sometimes they need just some like reminders that like you're not as terrible as you think you are. <laughs> like yeah. there's not really a better way to say that. But but I think everyone always has something that they can work on, some sort of dysfunction or unhealthiness that can be looked at and worked on. But it doesn't mean that they're that there's something wrong with with them or with anyone i always wonder um like when someone says they're in therapy and they're working on something and it's like this project or like a kind of a a thing that's taking a a while i'm always Mm -hmm. like wonder like what does that what does that kind of mean like as far as like therapy Mm -hmm. like over time Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like i'm still learning that too because i've been in therapy Um, I would say there was like two rounds of it that were longer term and then a couple other times where I just like dipped my toe in and then was like, nope, wasn't ready for one reason or another. But that's a that's a really interesting question. And it could be so many different things. It could be getting my anxiety under control to the point where I don't feel distress every single day trying to go to work and function in my daily life. Or it could be like I'm having a lot of conflict with my partner and we're working on lowering that and building a connection. Or it could be like I have a lot of childhood trauma and now I'm trying to work through that and incorporate that meaning into who I am today and in my life now. And so like working through all the hard feelings with that and like processing it. So like it could be it could mean a lot of different things. But it does take time and and it can look a lot of different ways. It depends on the therapist and the client and and a lot of it depends on the therapist's orientation and the different like lens or theories that they use to treat a client or like how they see a client. So I tend to see people through the lens of attachment, which means I believe that like before the age of five a lot of things have been determined in terms of how you understand the world and how you understand what like family means and security and all of that kind of stuff. And so I can see how that has impacted them into adulthood versus somebody else may use a lens that's like narrative therapy where they believe they see people through the lens of like we all live within this story and we make our own story from our experiences because experiences just are like time continues on and we story our experiences. And so how can we go back and restory what has happened to us to make it a more functional story and also highlight the like more positive parts that have helped us move forward. And like, like there's, that makes sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like there's different ways to look at it. That's interesting to think about as far as like how a person thinks about their life is like, like you're saying, like all these old stories and maybe that in their mind, the stories 
maybe they have like a negative bent to them kind of? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah. I'm not as familiar with narrative therapy. I don't have any specific training in it, so it's hard for me to answer that question specifically. But but yeah, there's there's just so many different ways to look at function and dysfunction in a person in a system that can determine the path of what therapy looks like. Because then there's very specific interventions like EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is not so much let's talk about our feelings, but more so like we're going to talk about our feelings in a way that's going to help us move these things that have stuck with us for a very long time into the proper filing cabinets that they're supposed to be in in our brain. And then there's something called emotionally focused individual therapy, which is basically like, we're going to bring you back to that moment and you're going to refeel all of your feelings really strongly. And then, so the person's then like sitting on the couch crying and then you're asking them to like say to yourself, your younger self, what you needed to hear. And so like, there's lots of different ways of seeing Mm -hmm. function and dysfunction and then how to go about working through that to make life more functional now. When, when you're at work and someone comes in, like it's like their first time and you're just now meeting them. Like, do you like, I was going to, I want to say like, how long does it take to, do you, do you already have like a game plan or is it a lot of like kind of listening and (laughs) figuring out like, what does this person need or what are the Uh right questions to ask? Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. Like I myself, I'm still figuring that out. So like a little sneak into what it's like to be an intern and a baby therapist is like, I'm still, I still get like nervous and scared because I don't know who's walking in. I don't know necessarily. I can look at their paperwork and I can, and I can get to know them, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're walking in with. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know if I'm going to, like really match with them or if my style of therapy is going to be something that they're that they vibe with or if they're really put off by or like I don't know so I'm still myself figuring that out I'm too new (laughs) can you tell quickly if you do vibe with them as a therapist yes yeah but that's just like me as a human I can I can tell pretty quickly whether or not I vibe with someone I have had people I'm sorry. I have had, that's okay. I have had people come in and like do the intake and then not come back. And I haven't really been that surprised because we just like, there just wasn't that, that connection or that vibe that apparently they needed. Cause I don't necessarily need that. Uh, that's up to the client. But yeah, so that's definitely happened before. I was just looking at the questions. We got some responses. Okay, so I can summarize Peter's. Uh, yeah, okay, good, because I was wondering yeah. how to... How so to Peter's that. question is basically, what do you do when you give advice to someone and then they do the exact opposite? And then he asks specifically, like, how do you deal with that frustration and is it disheartening? One thing is I don't necessarily like to give advice. I don't like receiving advice, so I don't like to give advice. 
and this is this is very personal to to like me and my style of therapy and it's something that like could change but i'm really not a fan of being told what to do or how to do things because i believe that each person has the innate ability to help themselves and that i'm there to help them figure out what's going to work best for them and maybe i can use like some psychoeducation like Yes, really. If you do deep breathing, it's going to help clear out all of those chemicals that are running through your body that are making you feel like you're going to faint. So like, I wouldn't necessarily call that advice so much as like, hey, this is actually going to help you because this is backed up by scientific like revelation or whatever. So if I were to give them advice and then they wouldn't listen to it, I won. I wouldn't be surprised because most people don't want advice. And two, I don't think I would be frustrated or disheartened. In fact, I would probably feel kind of like dumb myself for having tried to give advice because I don't think that that's necessarily good therapy. That makes me wonder is uh, when people come in, are they... How receptive are people to therapy? I know it would be different for everybody, but like... Yeah. So I haven't had like hundreds and hundreds of clients by any means. So I don't, I feel like I don't have a very large sample size from for experience. But what I have noticed so far is that people who come in with mainly anxiety as their presenting problem are, have more skepticism towards it only because their anxiety really tells them to be skeptical about it all. Do you have people who come in who it's almost like they're professional, like they've been to therapy so many times that they almost like act like they know kind of what's going on or I don't know. I haven't, I haven't experienced that. No, but I fully believe that they're out there. Okay. Let's read. Is it, is Link Lincoln or Link? I never know. I thought he's the same guy. I thought those two are the same person. I mean, I guess I don't... Is it... Is his name Lincoln? Oh, I don't know what his actual name okay. is. Okay. We're, we're reading questions from Lincoln. people. We, we, we kind of know him, and we know him by, like, their Discord Username. names or whatever. Okay. Does medication play more a part in people's recovery? Can someone be helped by just talking or would medication always have its place in an overall recovery? That's a good question. A lot of people are turned off by the idea of taking medication. And so they try to use just talk therapy or other things to help them feel better. I think that there's so much nuance and gray area in terms of like, I can't say it would always or never have a place in recovery. I think it depends on the person and, and what they desire for themselves. I will always encourage looking into it for someone who may need it or could benefit from it. And this is, and I'm talking about for things like anxiety and depression, when it comes to things like schizophrenia or bipolar, you're not going to be able to get away with just thinking happy thoughts and exercising to be able to function in daily life. You're going to need to be on some sort of medication. And so it also depends on what we're talking about diagnosis wise. 
I was curious, like, um, as far as medication for, like, a psychological kind of problem. Like a mood disorder versus, like, a thinking disorder? I guess just, just like, on a, on a basic level, like, what is, what, what does the medication do to, like, the brain or, like, I know there are different types of medication, but. Yeah. Well, I can tell you about one of the most common types, which is an SSRI. There's also SNRI. So SSRI is a serotonin, no, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which a lot of people, when we talk about like people going on medication, a lot of the times it's something related to like an SSRI for usually depression and anxiety. And those are the kinds of things that you can get from like a primary care physician pretty easily versus having to go to a psychiatrist. So what that does is it, an SSRI specifically. So you have these synapses in your brain. And like if you put your hands out and like they're talking to each other, you've got these two and they're facing each other and they open up and they send out chemicals between the two. And when the chemicals are between your two mouth hands, that's when it actually like does things in your brain. So what happens sometimes is our synapses will, one will release the chemicals and then the other synapse will eat it all up too quickly. And then there's nothing left in your brain because it went from one synapse to the other too quickly or took too much. And so what a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor does is it has little things that are the same size as those chemicals and they fill, they plug those holes of the one mouth so that it tries to eat all the, all the chemical, but it gets full and then there's still some left in the brain. And so that's how that works because you need serotonin in the brain to be able to feel happy. So that it goes the same way with an SNRI. It just works with a different kind of neurotransmitter. So neuropronephrine versus serotonin. Is there like a, um, I know we talked, asked you earlier about the, uh, Kind of like noticing that like younger people seemed more open talking about mental health is mm-hmm. is that like a gen- like a all age or like kind of a is is or like older people like more or less likely to want to talk about that, that that stuff or uh I was wondering like if I remember watching like Mad Men mm-hmm. and they would talk about how in the sixties like um therapy and the idea of therapy was like kind of not understood as much or respected Mm -hmm. as much sure i guess i'm wondering like as as a is there an age thing (laughs) i'm trying to think of a better way to like have i noticed the younger people coming in are they kind of more open to the idea of talking about things than maybe people of an older generation yeah. Is that what you're asking? Uh, yes? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I'm thinking I don't know. I'm, I'm well, sorry. I'm thinking about like uh you were, you were talking about the brain and it, it feels like a lot of people they don't it's almost like they don't think a a mental problem is real. They don't think of it as like yeah. a real issue, like you just have to yeah. get over this or mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the average, it seems like to as someone who doesn't know much about this stuff, it feels like 
the average person might not almost even believe that this is even real stuff to talk about in a way because they yeah. don't because it's kind of invisible like the mind is hard to yeah. measure and stuff that's definitely i get what you're saying yes absolutely there is definitely a bigger acceptance of the younger people who are coming to therapy to understand that it's not just because of character flaws that they're feeling the way that they do, but that it's a combination of so many things, including their biology versus older generations have a lot more difficulty. I've noted, and this is total gen generalization, but have a lot more difficulty having compassion with themselves around that because their whole lives, it hasn't been even a known aspect of people suffering with mental illness that it's also biological and not just a character flaw. And I'm not saying mental illness is a character flaw at all, but that's how it's been seen and how it used to be seen. And in some, like, I think because I've been in it for so long in terms of just like even my family of origin that I've never really seen dealing with mental illness as any sort of character flaw. But I do know from people who've come into therapy that part of the issue before they can even deal with the things that they're dealing with is trying to work through that shame that they have just simply around not feeling okay and not having a specific reason why. One thing I was before I, or when I was thinking about talking to you for this, like, I, I was interested in the therapy thing. I didn't know if you were wanting to talk about therapy, if you were, like, kind of sick of, like, talk. let's talk about some other thing. Mm -hmm. But one thing I, I don't, I like, I, I was wondering, I know a lot of, uh, one thing I like about the podcast is I don't, it's like being able to give people, like, kind of a conversation to listen to that might help them in some way. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was I don't I was wanting to talk to you about like depression kind of and like just what it sure. what um like what it is and what I don't know that's not like a question exactly but yeah I'm curious what your what your like, thoughts were, are about like how I understand depression and and maybe what it looks like and how it shows up in different people and what it feels like yeah sure <laughs> Depressions, I think, I think it's one of, I don't have direct references to back up my claims, but I'm going to say that it's probably the most common mental illness in America, um, just by how often it seems that people talk about it, uh, or people who actually come in and have a diagnosable depression of some sort. So there are different levels. So in America, we use the DSM or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for mental disorders. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is basically the big Bible book of mental illnesses in order to help put people in boxes for reasons of insurance and to then also be able to know which way to guide treatment. So in the section for depressive disorders, there are several different kinds ranging from major depressive disorder to 
more of like an adjustment disorder with some like depression symptoms. So major depressive disorder means more than half the days you're feeling really, really low. You might have trouble sleeping or, or sleeping way too much. You have decreased interest um, or total apathy. You could have irritability. You have thoughts uh, like thoughts that are negative towards yourself. You may wish to not exist. Um, and then what can happen for major depressive disorder or MDD is it cycles. So the chemicals in your brain go through cycles. And so you'll have periods of time anywhere from two weeks to several months where you just, you're, you're like in this valley in this dark, dark place where you're experiencing these symptoms where you have like very low energy and it could be a combination or just one of these really strongly, but you're like where you having a lot of those symptoms for a very sustained period of time. And it's not due to a direct like medical issue or something specifically happening in your life for a sustained period of time. And then you can have periods then where you come back up to kind of like your more baseline normal and then you're okay for a while and then you go back down and then you come back up and then you go back down. So that's the major depressive disorder. And then if you don't go into any of those cycles and you sustain just kind of like a low level, kind of like that lukewarm, you're like below baseline, but you never really dip down really low and you sustain that for at least two years, that's called dysthymic disorder. And so those are probably the two most common. I'm just thinking through what... Sure. Um, a lot of people a lot of people mistake depression for being sad and that's a huge myth. I feel like I have a lot of thoughts on this but I don't know what the questions are right now. <laughs> I don't know what questions to ask sure. her about it. Well, we'll just what are your what are you thinking? Uh Well, I was thinking about <clears throat> I just finished reading this biography about Robin Williams and like the last few chapters were like, it just got really, really sad mm -hmm. or uh, just kind of going into the struggles he was having. And um, I got it. Well, it made me want to like try to find a, a kind of more uplifting type book next. Yeah. Cause uh, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting, but it was still like, it was just heavy stuff. And it was, uh, it seemed like a lot of his problems, I mean, just from what people were observing or from the people who knew him or whatever, he had a uh, Lewy body disease. Yeah. Or I think I'm saying that right. His, like his mind was like kind of degenerating. Oh no. And he was someone who, you know, he's known for like his mind and being quick, his quick wit and... Mm -hmm. Um, but he was, and he also had the early stages of, uh, Parkinson's. Oh no. Which I think, I'm not sure if I read later that the, a doctor was talking about the Louis body disease and said that sometimes that can, the symptoms for that can look like, uh, Parkinson's. Parkinson's. So sometimes it would get confused. 
I think I'm remembering that right. I'm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I read it and then kind of forgot it. But um, Yeah. So there's but, a lot of things that can like contribute to, to like becoming depressed, including major things happening, major life transitions, changes. Um, yeah. A serious medical diagnosis, sometimes even maybe a small medical diagnosis, but it's really about that impact that it has on you in your life and and what that means to you or what you think that that means about you. I don't think he had the Lewy body disease diagnosis while he was still alive. I think they had like brain tissue that they tested later on or something like that. But he could tell he, it seemed like he knew that something wasn't right. Like his mind was kind of falling out of, like he was losing his mind basically. Mm-hmm. I know that's really, I don't know. I've just been kind of thinking about that. Yeah. Or, or I don't, kind of just uh, someone who is uh, identified in a certain way and then they, they are suddenly unable to kind of mm-hmm. live up to that image that other people see and then feeling like they're not worth worthwhile or whatever because right they were talking about it it was almost like a uh like a paralysis or like like a physical like if you lost a leg kind of thing Mm -hmm. like it's not coming back yeah kind of thing it's just drifting right and like what the amount of pain that it might be to accept that and face that and to then create or like find that new identity after your identity has meant so much of who you are and the meaning that it's given your whole life yeah I can I can like that makes his suicide not like not that I ever condone it but you know you can have compassion for where he must have been at Okay, let's take some more questions. Okay. We got a few. Is it Katalia? Is that how you say her? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you find it easier or more difficult to deal with your own? Ment- <laughs> oh, this one. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to finish? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you find it easier or more difficult to deal with your own mental health knowing? what you know about counseling and therapy, etc. Oh, a bit of both. It's a mixed bag at this point. <laughs> That's kind um, of what I was asking. I think I'd asked you that earlier. Or, well, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Something similar. Definitely seems to be a mixed bag. Like, the specific training I got for couples therapy has done like wonders for me and honey. Like it really transformed parts of our relationship, which has been amazing. And I really believe in that theory. Uh, But then there's things like sometimes I have a lot of emotions and for some reason, as much as I can like dole out coping skills and help people come up with all these things to help themselves, then I like, I get home at the end of the day and I'm just like a, blubbering mess of a human and and then I like sometimes it feels like I know too much because then I overthink things but like on a more personal note like I've I've been dealing with more anxiety than I ever have in the past 
And it's not like, and when I say anxiety, I don't necessarily mean like butterflies in the stomach. It can come out in different kinds of ways. And in some ways that it's been coming out for me is like this kind of overthinking as well as like being very impatient with myself and maybe not giving myself enough credit. And so like, but then like knowing things, but then also feeling like I don't know a lot because I'm a baby therapist. It's just kind of like, I just kind of like, I can spiral from that. So definitely a mixed bag. Kind of like you're trying to learn and get better at the job. It's still. And still like be a human and have my own stuff. Right. Yeah. Which I think is also like an asset and something that can be used therapeutically. Not, not directly, but like parallel process of like, wow, this is what it feels like if someone's experiencing anxiety. And so when they come into therapy, then what I kind of have more of an idea of like what that might be like for them. Yeah. Can you talk a, mi- a little longer about anxiety and just kind of what that, what that is? Anxiety. So, um, there's, there's something I want to also clarify, like how I said, depression isn't just being sad. Having anxiety is not the same as being nervous or worrying. Um, and so because anxiety, the, the diagnosis of anxiety, uh, what's the word? It basically means that it's kind of a more long lasting kind of heightened stress level um more so than like i'm worrying about what i'm going to do in my presentation tomorrow or um i'm feeling nervous before this date that i may have um anxiety can can be more invasive than that and show up in ways that you may not expect because it's easy to like realize when you're feeling nervous or anxious, when you have butterflies in your stomach, maybe your hands are sweating and maybe you're shaking a little bit. But then there's the things like, oh, I wake up in the middle of the night and then I can't fall back asleep. And I can't necessarily identify the exact thoughts that I may be having, but I do know that like I'm there's like this feeling of unease that I'm not able to get get away, like get out of my head or um I am thinking about all these worst case scenarios or I have this overwhelming feeling that everyone around me hates me and I can't and I don't have a reason for it, but I can't make it stop or like so. So that's kind of the difference between like anxiety and just maybe like worrying or being nervous. That's helpful. Good. Okay, I like this next part of her question. Also, does being a therapist change how your friends communicate with you? Have you noticed that they change what they say or how to say it once they know what you do? <laughs> that's a that's a good question. It's something that I think about and wonder about specifically with like the online community. Because I've noticed that some people on the online community will take what I say more seriously than I may intend it. Or, like, think that they'll, like, take my words or my input as something that they actually, like, look at and value, which I've, like, not experienced before, I think, in just normal friendships. Not that people are, like, oh, whatever Liz has to say. But, like, I realize now that because people know what I'm doing, they 
see my responses to things in a different way. And that makes me like pause and make sure that if I'm speaking on things having to do with my profession I'm training in, that I'm trying to be thoughtful as well as like make clear that I'm not the Bible on it. Mm -hmm. So I, other than that, I haven't noticed how like existing friendships have changed except that well, I've noticed how my responses have changed. They may not change what they're saying to me, but I'm metering my responses, especially this past year with transitioning into actual practice mm -hmm. of therapy. I've monitored like when I'm speaking to my friends and in response to whatever they're talking about with me, is this like therapist Liz or is this friend Liz? <laughs> and where is that line? Like it really has changed. Like it, it really funny. has changed. Yeah. It's, it's also like now that I've realized that I'm dealing with some anxiety, it's also, it like causes me some distress. Like, wait, who am I? What does that mean? And how do I make sure that my identity is not wrapped up in my career? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it gets it's, real complicated. I'm thinking of people who, like, you know, you have a friend, just, just like an average person, you have a friend and they mm -hmm. talk to you and you give them some, and some advice and it seems to help them and you think, wow, uh, I should tell people how to, you know, give them, a, I don't know, like, maybe I am mm -hmm. have a gift or whatever. But you're someone who actually has tr been trained in this and you're kind of feeling uh, that doubt of if you're... I'm I'm just I'm thinking right now of just the way I'm talking to you right now I feel like I'm being mm -hmm. more careful like than I would be if really if we were talking about something less like I don't I don't know I'm like am I saying the right words is this yeah. gonna work yeah yeah I'm like I don't know what to do about that like that that's also my anxiety of like no let me fix let me fix it's <laughs> fine everything's fine and dandy that but that is, it is interesting to think of like. Um, it seems like part of it, or it's almost like everybody, their, their perceptions of like a therapist and they, they, that plays a part in how they're interacting with you. Like where, to where you could say something like you're saying kind of offhanded or maybe mm -hmm. slightly joking mm -hmm. and they, it just like sends their brain like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, about that. I have no control over, over that of whether or not somebody is going to think that. I think, yeah, I don't know if it's just me being like, obviously I'm very biased and I think that the career I'm going into is awesome. And so I value it highly and I realize that not everybody like thinks that being a therapist would be super cool like I do, but like, oh crap, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I had a point. <laughs> This is not professional. Yeah, no. Um, oh, I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, that's gone. That happens in session sometimes. I would I'll, think like, so. It does. And I just have to, like, I've... <sighs> Luckily, that's not something I worry about because I feel like being very human is... Very... Oh, that's yeah. what it was. That's actually exactly what, what my point was, was... Um, that it's important to me also that like I assume wait no that's not my point what's my point my point is I also like being on the discord and having people know what I do to show 
that like I'm just a human and any therapist you go and see is really just a human as well because there have mm-hmm. there are people who have had really poor experiences and may have an idea of what therapy or therapists may be and so like I do think about that as well of my role like on the internets here and having people know what I do is to be like an advocate for people to go seek help and feel okay with that because maybe they know someone like me who is, Oh, I'm just a person. I had a question like a second ago and then it just, it also slipped my mind. Even podcaster, even podcast hosts lose their train of thought sometimes. Just we're even podcast hosts are human. (laughs) Y'all. Peter's question seems personal. I don't know how, is it hard for you to bring your work home with you? Has it affected your relationship with your husband or friends or family? I mean, I could answer that one, I, I think. So with Peter's question, how hard is it to not bring work home? And how has it affected my relationships? I'd say it's pretty hard because I'm an external processor. So I like to talk about my day every day. And, um, also that my brain naturally tends towards the negative. And so sometimes, and I think this would be, this really is like for any job and not just like doing what I do, but, um, I need to make sure that when I am talking about my day, that I'm also identifying the things that went well and the good and the good things that happened. So um, it has definitely affected my personal relationships in that I'm way more worn out physically and emotionally than I have been in the past. It's been a really long, difficult year, and it's taken a lot of, it's taken a big mental and emotional toll to like be learning and doing and being in a state of discomfort because I am new to it all that I have not had the same kind of emotional energy to put towards my personal relationships. And that's been difficult to come to terms with as well as balance out. Is this for the year because I've been working six days a week (laughs) or is this going to be how it's going to be? And then what does that mean? And how can I'm, in what ways can I maintain the relationships that I have? And like, how is that going to look different going forward? And just trying to figure out like all those different boundaries. Like, am I giving too much at work? Do I need to give more in my personal relationships? Am I going to get more back from my personal relationships if I put more in? Like all those kinds of things have been things that I've been thinking about this year. I think I asked you like last night, like, cause if therapy for for you, if doing therapy was like, something that wore you out or if it kind of gave you energy, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of like, Oh yeah, I really helped this person or is it... you, you answered me last night, but I thought yeah. it was an interesting. Thing yeah. Like I don't, I feel like I don't, I don't quite know yet because I haven't worked the same like hours or amount of clients that I will be doing regularly. And so I don't know yet if it's going to like 
give me energy and give me life or totally drain me and I won't have anything left at the end of the day. And I'm, and I worry about that. I definitely worry about that. Like at this point, I can't imagine seeing clients five days a week. Like that seems like way more than I have to give to clients, not even to mention my personal relationships. And if I don't have personal relationships, then I'm not going to be able to serve clients. And so that's definitely been something on my mind and something I think that will change with time. Uh, my coworkers who are like full-time licensed, they keep reminding me like after school, you're going to have so much more time. It's not going to be nearly what you think it's going to be. It's not going to be like what your life is right now. Mm-hmm. And so like that gives me hope that pushes me forward. Cause so much of your head right now is on the school aspect of it making sure you kind of get through that get past this yeah as well as working a second job yeah but I've definitely noticed like I've not been able to be the kind of friend to even like on the online communities that I would like to be I'm not meeting my own standards of the kind of interactions that I would like to have because I just don't have the emotional energy for it and that that's disappointing and I don't like that so that's something that I'm going to look to try and create more balance in once I'm done with school. That makes sense. Okay, Brick asks, how do you maintain detachment from your patients while also remaining empathetic to their needs, desires, humanity? I don't know how much detachment I have. I mean, I'm creating a human connection with them just with some parameters around it. And so... The only kind of detach, I wouldn't call it detachment. I would call it appropriate boundaries. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be telling them about my own struggles necessarily, unless it's very limited and for a very specific purpose. Um, And it's not about me seeking anything from them. So that's a really good question that I could probably even like journal about and find out more about myself about. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't call it detachment. I would call it boundaries because I don't, because I feel like I can connect to their, to their feelings, their needs, their desires, their humanity. Okay. Steve asked a really good question. Yeah. Steve asked a lot of good questions. And he's got, we've got some more we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does one find a good therapist? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm. That's exactly. Is I'm good the, for that the too. tricky part? Like, is it harder yeah. to find a good therapist than like a just a therapist? Yeah, I think it's also hard to find a therapist that's gonna like work for you. I think a lot of people they like go and see one therapist and then they didn't really click and they're like, I hate therapy. Therapy isn't for me. Well, maybe you were like a 15 year old boy and you went and saw like a 6 year old woman. Like, of course it's not gonna jive. Like. So I think a lot of people do that and they don't let themselves like shop around. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely shop around and really look at their bios. Um, Even though they're all kind of the same, I think you can weed out like what you are and aren't looking for. Like I know personally that I don't really want to, I don't want to necessarily see a male therapist just just a personal preference. And so like, I know that I'm not going to like look at any of the guys profiles. I'm just going to stick to the women. And I know that I don't really, I don't think I want to see like somebody at the end of their career. I would think I want to see someone younger, uh, who's maybe closer to my age. Like, and so just like 
making sure that you're you kind of generally know what you want you're gonna have an easier time finding what you're looking for do they have like therapist apps where you kind of kind of like swipe right swipe left kind of thing <laughs> like that's a good idea i think psychology today is probably the closest one oh, <laughs> is, they have an app i didn't know that i don't i think they do or, have an app it's a website as well oh, okay <laughs> yeah what is this is another question from steve what is something mm -hmm. that people on this side of the system don't know we should be asking about or considering mm. that's like the okay. uh, or go ahead if you're going in yeah if you're going in for couples therapy assume that you are part of the problem it's not just your partner um that's a good question you said something in that in that vein once that you that i thought was smart you said if a couple is on in a fight that they should remember they're on the same team. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's so important is to remember that they're not trying to like be against one another and win, but you're on the same team and you're trying to fight against the problem. And the problem might be the fight. Like if we're fighting about taxes, then okay, then I'm going to be side by side with my husband and taxes is what we're going to tackle. Okay. I like, I think that I like that. Mm -hmm. I do too are there any warn sign, warning signs of a bad therapist hmm. someone who doesn't this is just what I know because people keep telling me this is uh, someone who doesn't seek supervision after they're licensed which you may not know just by like looking at psychology today you don't know if they actually see a you don't know if they what do you mean by supervision like so it would be you're paying someone to consult with on your cases. So you're having someone outside of where you work that you are paying to look at you critically, look at you as a therapist critically. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And that's where people can get into a lot of trouble is when they stop seeking supervision or consultation and they just assume that they're doing fine. And they're probably not doing fine because nobody's actually checking their work. I'm suddenly remembering like shows that have like therapy in them and like the uh, therapists like going and talking to other therapists. Like I yeah. feel like that happens in TV shows I've seen before. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand a little bit more about TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyway, uh, man, that's such a that's such a good question. I've, I know he's got a lot of good ones. He's got a lot of good questions. Steve. We love your questions. Yes. Oh my he gosh, hear go it, Steve. He'll, he'll hear it later. He will. Yeah. Oh my, these are so good. Can I just like start yeah. going through them? We'll yep. go kind of fast. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Next question he asks: What are the different levels of licensing and titles, and what do they all mean for normal people? Okay. That is a fantastic question because um, people assume it's all kind of like one and the same. So here we go. We're going to break it down here. You ready, Jeff? Go for it. Okay. <clears throat> so first, counselors versus therapists. I don't know if there's actual like specific definition terminology that differentiates these two things. However, therapists have more education than counselors 
But you could say that all therapists are counselors, but not all counselors are therapists. You got that? I think so. Luckily, okay. I'm recording this. I can listen to it again later. Yeah, you can listen to it back. So, for instance, if you get, uh, if you go and get a degree to be a licensed professional counselor or an LPC, that is like the, okay, none of these are bad. So I'm not by like highest and lowest does not denote value. So I'm just going to put that out there. But like that's like the lowest level uh, degree that you can get to be a counselor. And then if you seek additional supervision for that degree, then you can become an LPCC or a licensed professional clinical counselor, which basically means you have done a certain number of hours with a certain number of supervision to then be considered a clinical counselor. Is that so what you're then, working towards? No. Okay. Nope. So I'm working towards an LMFT. I'm working towards a licensed marriage and family therapist. So after I graduate and I apply to take the national exam, then I will be a licensed applicable marriage and family therapist. So I will be an LAMFT. So I will be working as a therapist under a licensed therapist license. And I will be receiving supervision from them until I've reached a certain number of hours and supervision hours to then take the exam, pass the exam, and then become a independent licensed therapist. Then there are social workers. You can get your undergrad in social work, which you can't do for the other degrees, but you can get your undergraduate degree in social work so that you could have, what is it? Uh, LSW, a licensed social worker. So you still have to take like a test to pass it. And then you can go on and get your master's in social work. And then you're an MSW. So then you have a master's of social work. And then you can continue on again with the hours and then the supervision hours. And then you can be an LICSW or a licensed independent clinical social worker. So all of those that I just listed off are all kind of on the same tier with MFT and uh, social work being slightly above LPC in terms of like um, ability of who they can treat and what they can do. So then what you can also do is you can get your PsyD, your psychology or your PsyD is your basically your doctorate in psychology. Which also means that you are then a psychologist. A psychologist is not the same as a therapist. Although most psychologists are therapists, a therapist does not mean, like, I will never be a psychologist. A psychologist has their doctorate degree and they are trained to do assessments. So they're the people that you go to if you believe that your son or daughter or yourself has ADHD. Um, and so they do all kinds of assessments as well as they can do talk therapy, but they do not prescribe medication. So then you can also go on and get your PhD in any of these. So that would be your top level. Usually you only do PhD to be a professor. So that's okay. all the different, that's all the different levels. So PhD is going to be more research based 
PsyD, you're going to be a psychologist, you're going to be assessment based with some therapy background. And then the first tier being a clinical counselor, a professional counselor, or uh, an MFT or a social worker, you're going to be doing therapy. It's going to be very like person based. And then there's like the LADC and they're licensed alcohol and drug counselors. So like there's all these different things. I know. I'm like, before this question, I was like, I didn't, it, it's like it got so much more complicated. I'm like, oh my gosh. Right? Like the whole yeah. world I didn't know about. So people, when people are like, oh yeah, you're a psychologist. I'm like, oh honey, I am no psychologist. Yeah. I never want to be a psychologist. I bet that's, I was wondering like what the right word was for what you do. Cause it's, you yeah. used to say thera- you're a therapist. Yeah. Yep. Because yeah. I was like, is it psychi- psychologist or psychiatrist? Oh, and then there's or- psychiatry. So, and then there's psychiatry and you're a medical doctor who specializes in like the brain and mental illness and then can prescribe all of those like drugs. What advice would you give someone who's going to therapy or counseling for the first time? Uh, shop around for the right therapist, even though you may not know what you need. You'll know if you like like the person or not. Um, and if you want to go, commit to going. Like, give yourself, like, I'm going to try this for X number of sessions and then reevaluate. Because I think a lot of times people freak themselves out. And you may not be ready, and that's okay. But, like, give it a good Give it a good go at first, at least. What's as a good well go? As, like, how, how long like, do you think? Mm, start with, like, six sessions. And then you can get a real vibe. Like, do I vibe with this person? Am I actually getting what I thought I would? And then also talk about that with the therapist. Like, bring them into the process with you. into the process of trying to decide if this is the right therapist if they're the right yeah Yeah. like if you're really unsure like tell your therapist that that's important that that like you're kind of like in that together even if you decide at the end like nope not for me great like they can help you they can still help you make the most of it even if the end result is I don't think this is for me right now like cool that's great Um, also just, uh, don't feel pressured to tell everything right away. You'll know when you're ready to, because sometimes people can like tell too much too quickly and then feel like, like they've just like let too much out of the bag. And then it's very, it's like, there's so much emotion that they just don't even, they don't even know how to like handle all of it. (coughs) So I would say. Like, be kind to yourself, be compassionate with yourself, and also don't have too high of expectations that things are going to change right away. Everyone usually goes to therapy when things are bad Hmm. and um, may be disappointed by, like, the lack of immediate change. You're like, okay, I went. Like, why don't I feel better? So that's also why I say, like, give it some time and also just, like, remember to be compassionate with yourself and give yourself time and grace. That's good. Yeah. Okay. What advice would you give someone who's been going for a while but doesn't feel like they're getting anywhere with it? Bring it up to the therapist. Bring it right into the room. Bring it into the process. That's that's my advice. Is be like, I don't feel like like what are we doing? What am I doing here? Like what I it's not helping. Like bring it into the room because 
I think by talking about it, you can make some movement or at least like some understanding about it. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I have any last last minute questions. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you, um, I don't know, just anything you thought you wanted to say mm-hmm. before you're. Uh, just a reminder that like, I'm not saying that I know everything. These are really, it's based on my experiences uh, in my limited time as mostly a student and just going into the profession. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. cool. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks I've for been, having me. I've been looking forward to talking to you and it's been on my mind, like kind of trying to think of what type of questions to ask you or just, I feel like you have, I don't know. I, I just like, I like the idea of people being able to listen and kind of, uh, maybe people who aren't really familiar with this stuff. Like I'm not mm-hmm. really familiar with it. And I, I don't know. I like the idea of someone being able to kind of pick up some new information. Absolutely. Yeah. I've yeah. looked forward to thinking about it. I just, I'm very passionate about it and I really see my like career as more of like a vocation. Right. And so, um, I'm always happy to talk about it and to hopefully bring people closer to it to not feel afraid to go and seek out help if they need it or if they feel like they want it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, All right, I'm stopping now. Uh, This is how I end every podcast. I go, I'm pushing stop now. That's like how you do it. Anyway, all right, have a good night.